Galatians chapter 5. Let's head over that way. I had to glance up at the clock there. You don't have anything else going on today, do you? Galatians 5, uh, verse number 18 today. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are studying a section that started actually back in verse number uh, 13, for our sake, goes through the end of this chapter, speaks of an internal battlefield within us. We who are believers in Jesus Christ, we know that uh, we have uh, learned well the ways of the world and the flesh. But we also have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we have found that to be quite a conflict, haven't we? As we've been studying through this passage for several weeks now, we are into this part, and this part is is a very uncomfortable part, because it shows to us more and more the power, the desire of the flesh, and those things that uh, the Spirit can can uh, works against. Verse 17 says, The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit the spirit against the flesh, and these two are in opposition to one another, as we saw last week, so that you may not do the things that you please. The topic was licentiousness. To do the things that you please, to to do your own things that you want. You cannot do them. We saw that last week. Uh, the evidence of licentiousness is in verse number 19, 20, and 21 especially, those are the visible aspects of it. And we're going to get to that list sometime later after after our Easter time. But uh, today we're going to look at the other side of what I warned you last week was coming. Verse number 18 talks about legalism. It leads to that. You are not, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I'd like to explain that passage to you today. Let's have a word of prayer first. Heavenly Father, we're preparing our hearts for your word today. It is a powerful word, and it does accomplish what you set out for it to do. And we are, I trust, willing recipients, not only of hearing your word, but of doing your word. And uh, this little section here is that which does convict us of things that... uh, we have done or we do evidence that we're not walking by your Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that as we take in your word today, that we will be mindful of your grace and your love, of your truth and your mercy, your patience and your goodness toward us. All these things, Lord, this word is given for our benefit today. And it will change us, and we need changed. So thank you for giving us this time. In Jesus' name, amen. When I talk about legalism, probably a word or a thought or definition comes to your mind. I wouldn't be surprised. If you pull it up in dictionaries and such, you'll find all kinds of different terms that are given there for legalism. It is in the category of an ism. And so, very likely, it's not a a good thing for you. Many isms are not. Not all of them, but certainly many of them. We're not talking about law-abiding people today. 
Law-abiding and legalism is not the same thing. Matter of fact, some of the dictionaries go to express the concept of legalism as an excessive attitude or fixation, if you will. Uh, it is an ism about the law. An ism about the law. Now, in societal studies, I shared this with you last week, uh, we see the words licentiousness on one side, we see the word legalism on the other side. We think they're opposites because one is do whatever you want. The other one is rules, rules, rules. And there seems to be a contrast between those two. But in the spiritual study of those terms, they are both in conflict with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're seeing in this passage. Both licentiousness of doing what you want and legalism, following the rules, so to speak, uh, are in conflict with the Spirit. And I want to be very clear as I start into this passage today. Verse 18 references the law, doesn't it? You're not under the law. Here's what I want you to understand as we start. The law is not in conflict with the Spirit. Okay? The law is not in conflict with the Spirit. Some people come to the conclusion that, well, if it's the law, we got to drop that and run. We don't want to be anywhere near the law because we're of the Spirit. Well, that's not what the passage says. Matter of fact, if you understand this correctly, and I'm going to try my best to explain it, the Holy Spirit is the author of the law. He wrote it. He told the, the writers to do it. Generally, when we say the law, we are, are specifically zeroing in on five books, as the, the Jewish folks would have thought of it, as the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call that the law in the Old Testament. Uh, especially if you break that down, Genesis doesn't have so many of law, uh, uh, but Exodus does, part of it does. Certainly the book of Leviticus, and it's heavy in Deuteronomy as well. It's the second giving of the law. Now, those are not our typical morning devotion passages. We're not the type to say, well, I want to read Leviticus this morning. Most of us don't go there. Uh, and, and it's not that there's anything wrong with the book of Leviticus. You get glean tons from the book of Leviticus. But we say, but all those sacrifices and you know, do it this way and do this way and don't eat this and stuff like that. Uh, uh, we don't think that way when we talk morning devotion, so to speak. But that law was written by the Holy Spirit. And this, these are the comments that go with it. And if you hold your bookmark here in Galatians 5, just go back to Psalm 119. All right? There's a handful of passages here. But this will give you a good view of what Scripture says about the law. In verse number 4, and I'll try to keep these in order so that you're not flipping pages all over. Psalm 119, verse 4, it makes a simple statement. Speaking of God, you have ordained your precepts. So the law doesn't come accidentally, they're intentional. God has ordained the precepts that we should walk in them. And our response should be, as the psalmist does here in verse number 5, all oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Have you ever said that? 
when you're reading the law, reading God's Word in any place for us, have you ever said, oh, I wish that were me? Watch what else the psalmist says in verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. You ever ask that to the Lord in prayer? Don't let me wander. Verse 15 and verse 16. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Do you delight in it? Boy, that's a word, isn't it? I do it. It's my duty. Is it your delight? That's my question. Verse number uh, 18. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wonderful things from your law. Wow, that's a new perspective of it, isn't it? We think law, we're looking for rules and regulations. He's looking for wonderful things from the law says in verse 97, now you've got to turn a few pages, don't you? In verse 97, Oh, how I love your law, he says. It is my meditation all the day. Have you ever said that? Verse number 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, Sweeter than honey to my mouth. You've heard verses like that before, haven't you? That means you have an appetite for it. Verse number 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. You've heard that verse. It's a light to my path. Verse number 129. 129, 130, 131. Your testimonies are wonderful, he says. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words give light. And it gives understanding to the simple. I like to think that that is what I hope to be doing. Unfolding the word to give light. Unfolding the word to help us understand. He says, that's what the word is for. In verse number 131, Open my mouth wide and I panted, for I longed for your commandments. Does this sound like the approach you have for the book of Deuteronomy? This is what the picture is here. Got to have it. I long for it. I, I'm, I'm ready. 133. He says, establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. That's quite a picture, isn't it? You go back to the, the very first psalm, this is the way David said it. How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's an appetite. Do you have it? Do you want it? That kind of appetite for God's Word, that you just have to see it in the morning? You have to see it at the end of the day. And sometime in between, you have to get another little dose of it here and there. That's quite a scene. Now, why, why would then we present the law as something ugly? Why would we present the law as something so disagreeable to us, so harsh to us, so cruel to us? Does the psalmist ever express that? He does not. 
we, we look at the law and we have a desire to run from it, to hide from it, to avoid it at all costs. Don't let that law step in here. And yet, it's God's Word. And the psalmist says it's wonderful. And since the Lord is the author of this law, that law reflects His character. Even Paul will say in the New Testament that the law is glorious. And it is. It is. Another psalm, if you take the one off, you've got 19. And Psalm 19 has several verses in there that speaks of the law as well. I'll read them to you, but they're verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, and it endures forever. They are more desirable than gold, even fine, much fine gold. They're sweeter also than the honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Why did Pastor Bob go through this whole route? I'll tell you. I want to underscore this at the very beginning. The Holy Spirit is not at odds with the law. He is not. He does not have a conflict with the law. Alright? What is the conflict then? That we see addressed here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 18. What is this conflict that he's referencing here? The conflict is with the flesh. The conflict of the Holy Spirit, is with what the flesh does with the law. Not the law. It's what the flesh does with the law. Now let me ask you this, and, and you can answer this quietly. Have you ever twisted Scripture to your own advantage? We all are susceptible to that sometimes. We learn how to do that intentionally. In a, in a matter of fun, somewhat. When my mom would uh, bake a cake for a fellowship dinner or something like that, she had to put a sign on it because there were six kids in our family. And to see a cake there, that's open season. And uh, she'd put a sign out of the book of Colossians, Taste not, touch not, handle not. And so we'd put our own sign. The spirit is a willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, we twisted it for our own good. But do we not do that many times? You know, it's a frightful thing for the flesh to work with God's law. God's law is wonderful. It's powerful. It's God's written word. And yet, mix it in the same bowl with sinful man who wants his own way. And how often we twist it and distort it for our own good. The cults come from this department too. They use our very same book, God's Word, to twist it and manipulate it to teach things that are not true. Now I told you, this is a conflict. The conflict is not with the law. It's with what the flesh does with the law. Alright? Just so we understand that as we get started here, it's very important that we see that. Because if ever the flesh were manifested in the way it behaves, it is that of the legalist. 
The legalist finds the weapons of the flesh as strength and wisdom and will and glory. Uh, that's all the ingredients of pride, of course. But they use those same tools. They use their own strength, they use their own wisdom, they use their own will, they use them for their own glory to play into the strategy of the flesh. The law easily converts into those weapons that a flesh-driven man wants to use. Easily does that. You see, he does not fulfill the law in loving his neighbor as it says in verse number 14. The legalist does not do that. Rather, he more closely fits verse 15. Biting, devouring, consuming. That's the avenue you find him walking down. Now, I could give you examples of this all morning long. I'm not going to do that. All I have to say is, go study the Pharisees and the Gospels. That's what they did with God's Word. They used it against people. It was a weapon. It's no wonder why people walked away from the law. And they felt that all it was was a, a bully club. All it was was a weapon aimed in their direction. To beat them down. To put them in submission. All for the gain and glory of another individual. That's what the Pharisees had done. And, and scripture is full, full of those examples. We're not going to go there at this time. But consider this as you will. We are prone to extremes, aren't we? The best way we figure to combat licentiousness of doing anything you want is to impose law and rules. That's the other extreme we go in. Because behavior goes wild at times. And we want it to be contained in the rules. So we, we keep rules and we set up rules. And then we say, those who abide by our rules, they're outstanding citizens. And those who do not abide by our rules are to be despised. At least our society used to be that way. I think it's flipped upside down a little bit now where they let those who do whatever they want to be the, the leaders and everyone who wants to follow the rules are despised. It's kind of a tricky world, isn't it? Either one of those are in conflict with the Spirit, as I've said. But even this, let me, let me start to evaluate a few things. And if you think I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of you, I'm thinking of me. If it comes out like, wow, pastor just nailed me to the wall, I'm nailing myself to the wall on this. What is our response to rule breakers? How do we respond? What, what emotion wells up within us when we see the evil man and his evil ways prosper? Do you think that's a new thing? David contended with that throughout many of the Psalms. Why are the evil men prospering, Lord? He kept asking that question. How often do we wish that the unrighteous man get what he deserves? Oh, I don't know about you, but do you smile somewhere on the inside when you look across the lane of the highway and see that one car sitting there and a second car behind it with little flashing lights? And you think, ah, that will fix them. <laughs> Does ever trigger something inside here when you see such like that? Say, that's not me, that's him. That's him. Have you ever taken pride in our own law-keeping at the same time we're condemning those who are law-breaking? 
Now, tell me if, if you've ever noticed how that could enter a church and become the mentality and the practice of a church. To put it simple, we use the law to teach men not to break it. That's our tool. Let me tell you about Mrs. Clemens. Mrs. Clemens was my second grade teacher. She was 250 years old, I'm sure. <laughs> she had been at that school forever. She taught my oldest brother. She taught my second oldest brother. She taught my oldest sister and my second oldest sister and me and my younger brother. We all went through there and then she retired. <laughs> I don't know if that had anything to do with the fact that we all went through her class. But she was old. Oh, she was old. I, I just recall how, how I looked at her and said, how could... Well, she had this technique to get your attention. And I know it can't work today because they won't allow it. It did work in her day. She pulled your ear. When you least expect it, there's Mrs. Clemens behind you and yank! She, if one of these looks longer than the other, I've been in Mrs. Clemens' class. She would yank, and, and man, it, it hurt. But it worked. It got her attention. Mrs. Clemens is my concept of this term we're studying today. And I'll tell you why. You break the rules, you get your ear yanked. You get it yanked hard. Mrs. Clemens is following behind. Maybe it helped to put her in the pews every now and then. Sit right behind you. Give you a good yank every now and then. And say, oh, there's Mrs. Clemens again. She's, she's looking for the troublemaker. She can see the immature. She can see those who walk the wrong path. She would be great for our study here today if she's yanking all our ears. Now, how many of you want to be Mrs. Clemens? To sit behind somebody as you're hearing the sermon say, oh, I know this is good for them. Yank! And you pull on their ear, just so they know. How many of us want to be that? This is what Scripture says in Galatians 3, verse 24. Just back up there. Galatians 3, 24. It says, Therefore, the law has become our tutor. Now, you have different translations here. Guardian, if you've got an NIV. The law has become our schoolmaster. If you have the King James Version, if you have the Pastor Bob Version, this law has become Mrs. Clemens. It's our tutor. It's our tutor. It's our master. But I, I want to step, you see the picture, and you know what we've done with it. But look at the rest of the verse, please. Look at the rest of the verse. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Oh, we just changed the whole story, didn't we? To lead us where? To Christ. Does that sound like the law is a negative thing? Not in this. It's meant to lead us to Christ. It leads us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. 
when we use our legalistic ways, and I know I'm bouncing into terms here back and forth, but when we use our legalistic ways, when we're ear-yanking and all the other things that we're doing on other people, is our desire to lead them to Christ? Or is our desire to make them toe the line, to walk it straight, to do it the way we see it? You see the difference? To lead them to Christ, Wow, that changes the whole picture. See, the sermons generally on legalism say this. Don't judge. That's how we answer it. Don't judge. How many times do you hear that? Matter of fact, that's society's favorite phrase to aim at the church when the church says you shouldn't do that. They say, don't judge. Doesn't your Bible say, don't judge? Well, yes, but that's only two of the words in a whole sentence. It says this. If you want the whole picture, you'll find it. Matthew chapter 7. These are the words of Jesus. And it's probably good that we look at it. Matthew 7. The first five verses would do. He says, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. Say, okay, well that's easy. Then I won't judge anybody. That way I don't get judged. But this is why he explains it. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. If you're going to use that weapon, that weapon's coming back at you. You see? He says the way that you evaluate is the way that you're willing to be evaluated. Oh, now, that's getting personal. (laughs) Are we willing to be judged by the very same thing that we use? Now, if we consider the law to be pure, then we don't mind being evaluated by the law, do we? He says this. In the way that you judge, you will be judged. By the standard, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's where the world says, ha 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 ha, we found you. You're trying to pull little specks out of our eyes, when all the while you've got logs. And they're good at spotting logs. Alright? That's where they stop us and they say, you can't do it. But this isn't the rest of, that's not the rest of it. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Behold, the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take out the log out of your own eye. Then, oh, this is the part they forgot. Then, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Does he ever say, don't mess with your brother's speck? No. No, he doesn't say that. He never said, don't judge. He said, just be mindful. The measure that you lay on somebody else is the measure that comes back on you. And quite honestly, if we're working with God's Word, we want God's Word to be our measure. That way, God's Word works on the logs in our eyes so that we can then go and work on somebody's speck in their eye. That's pertaining to the good Word of God. That changes lives, you see. That doesn't mean walk away from the problem. doesn't mean that at all. But here's the legalist stepping into the picture. He's holding people by his standard. His own standard. He's comparing people with his standard. He's denouncing people with his standard. We see it all the time. Of this political arena today. That's also going on. Do you not notice? You commend yourself, and if you have nothing good to say of yourself, at least blast your opponent. 
Is that not a fleshly game? Is that not a game that has many complications? We put the law over somebody's head. We put the law over somebody's head. But when you look up, what do you see? Read verse again in Galatians 5. In verse number 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's take the last three words and look up. What's above your head? You are under the law, so... There it is. That's standard. That sits above us. It gets heavy. Do you know that? The law gets heavy. Wow. It says you are not under the law. You see, when the flesh misuses the law, it becomes slave to it as as much as anything else. A slave to the law. The law becomes a weight. And it sits above your head. You are under it, according to the description of this phrase. And you have it overhead. It is a burden. It is a threat. But it's there. This is how Kenneth Weiss described it in his Galatians commentary. I'm just going to read a paragraph here. He said, The Galatian Christians had, up to this time, of the Judaizers' entry into their church, they lived the Christian lives in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. In accordance with the teaching of the Apostle Paul, the power of the sinful nature had been broken, the divine nature had been implanted, and the Spirit had entered their hearts and taken up His permanent residence. The conflict spoken of now in verse 17 has been going on in them, but the results have not been what they were in living victorious lives over sin. Now this factor has entered, the law, and with it their dependence upon the self-effort to obey the law. And the Galatians were still trying to live Christian lives, but they were going about it in the wrong way. The results was that they were failing. The entrance of these new factors meant that the Spirit had no opportunity to minister in their spiritual lives. The mechanical setup of spiritual mature, machinery which God had installed had been in, become ineffective by means of the monkey wrench of self-dependence which the Galatians had thrown into it. Said, ow! What a transition then for a fellowship like this. Paul came to them and said, Who bewitched you? I love that phrase. What happened? You were doing so well. And now you're trying to do it by the flesh. Don't think that's apart from the law. Oh, they use the law. Yeah. It has become... Not only their weapon, but now it's their master. They look up and there it is over their head. Oh, what a picture that is. Just when we thought we were having all these these great victories in, in accomplishing people lining upright and setting up the rules and all these other things, we look up and there it is. It sits over our head too. Legalism has a way of dominating everything. And the fact is this, wherever that flesh operates, and I told you this in regard to licentiousness, but it's true in legalism too. Wherever the flesh operates, these manifestations always come to the surface. Misunderstandings, animosity, selfishness, brutality, a thirst for power, a thirst for possessions, all the pieces of pride. We end up with damage. 
we end up with pain, we end up with injury, we end up with heartbreak, we end up with loss, we end up with death, we have messes at work, and messes at home, and messes at the church, and messes in lives, and scars, and wreckage, and most of the time, we're never the same. That's the flesh at work. And it takes that monkey wrench of self-effort, coats it with the law, and stuffs it into the machinery. And there we go again. What's the remedy? The remedy is right there in verse number 18. I passed by it on purpose so that I show you the, the seriousness of the issue so we could go back to the remedy and say, oh boy, do we need this. Because what does it say? If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This changes. We've been saying this for a long time. The, the answer for licentiousness is to walk by the Spirit. The answer for legalism is to walk by the Spirit. It's the same answer. That's the entire passage. Verse 16 said the command, walk by the Spirit. You say, Pastor Bob, you've only given us one thing every week. You're right. Walk by the Spirit. That's the answer. That's what we're called to do. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There's something that just pops out right there. Look at the difference. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It doesn't say you're under the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. Does that sound sweeter to you? Do you like that phrase better? Here's what Spurgeon said. The Spirit never brings a soul into bondage. The terrors and the fears that come of legal slavery are not the work of the Spirit of God. Where He works, holiness is delight. And the service of God is a continual joy. That's our psalmist again. He found it a delight. So if you're not under the law, let me, let me paint this picture as clearly, as simplistically as I can. If you're not under the law, that means you're walking by the Spirit, according to the passage. You're walking by the Spirit. And here's what it simply says. You don't need the law to govern you if you're walking by the Spirit. Do you know where He leads you? Everywhere that's right. Everywhere that's pure. Everywhere that's good. That's the only path He walks down. And if you're walking with Him, you're not thinking, oh, this is law, this is law, this is law. You're saying, I'm walking by the Spirit. Because the law, job, is to control, is to constrain, is to condemn even. It operates against the evildoer. But those who are walking with the Spirit are on a holy path. The law is not their adversary. It's not their adversary at all. Because there is no need for law to govern when we are walking with God Himself. So, here comes a very personal time for you to think. If when you approach God's Word, it does nothing but condemn you, constrain you, if it does nothing but drive you back again to see your own sins over and over, and, and, and you say, it's overwhelming, it's just too much, it it's always seems to be negative when it comes toward me. Let me ask you this, are you walking with the Spirit? Because that's the symptom of not walking with the Spirit. 
is that God's Word becomes heavy. God's Word becomes harsh. It's your schoolmaster. But when you're walking with the Spirit, you walk in peace. You walk in the right path. You walk where the phrases that we see on this page of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, those are dominant on that path because you're with the Spirit. I get rather personal right at that point because now it's, it's yourself and your walk with the Spirit. He brings us to this point and we have to ask in verse number 18, which side are we on? Which side of the comma are we on? Are we led by the Spirit? Or we are under the law? So what do you do to walk by the Spirit? You obey Him. You trust His leadership. You have fellowship with Him. You seek His direction. You know how He works. And you have confidence in what He is doing. Does that describe you? That's one who walks with the Spirit. Who's being led by the Spirit. Well, I know we've got something to talk to the Lord about today, don't we? When we go into prayer, let's start there. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we admit how easy it is for us to start comparing man to man. We stand up and sometimes pat ourselves on the back because we're better than the other guy. Sometimes we've taken your word and we've uh, gone after them. In our aggressive little ways, we've called them to walk by a line, walk by a rule, walk by this or that. And we never pointed them to Christ. Far too often, it's our own standard that we've put on others. And yet, Lord, when we see that, we look up and realize we're under law too. And we practice such things. It dominates us. It takes our thinking. It takes our efforts. And soon it just looks like it's us trying to do what you have called us to do our own way our own efforts, our own wisdom, our own strength, for our own glory. We've been there, Lord. Far too often we've been there. And your word calls us to be led by the Spirit. And that's where we want to start today. We come back to your design. We come back to this place where we're told to walk by the Spirit, but now led by the Spirit. And I pray that that's the heart cry of each and every one of us today. May that walk be our delight. May it be wonderful. May it be all that your word has described it to be, and even more so. But Lord, we need this appetite so much. We need it. Please, do that work in our hearts. Where we are callous right here, break it off where we're hard-hearted, where we're being stubborn, where we're insisting in our own rights. Break it off, Lord. Show us again your love for us. You who wrote the law can be all law, but you chose to be grace and mercy toward us. And we thank you for it. I'll make us understand it better. 
that we may live and walk with the Spirit as we should. Make us different, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.